and a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day's been going well. Happy Valentine's Day. In John chapter 13, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. Hopefully it's going to be nice and easy to be loving one another today. That verse goes on to say, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I hope you're having a love-filled day. And we're going to have a great first hour. Tom and Marsha Bark- uh, Berkowitz are in my studio already, and we're going to have a pretty interesting topic today. I'm going to let, I think I'm going to let Tom introduce it after the break because it's it's going to be uh, challenging, difficult, and something that I think we all need to pay attention to. So, how about that as a cliffhanger? Let me take sixty seconds and bring on the Berkowitzes. And the prophet said he made and the prophet said, here am I. You could hear him say, he may me, he may me, he me. Sounds like Marty Getz. That must mean the Berkowitzes are in the studio. Oh, <laughs> Don can't hear. That's... That's a shame because we were playing Marty Guts. It was great. It was really Marty. Yeah, yeah it really thank was. You, wasn't Marty. It? Yeah, thank you, Marty. Too bad, Tom. Yeah, Tom, do your headphones not work? We I'm should get you new headphones. Should I use these? Yeah, try another set of headphones because we definitely want you engaged in this hour. Is that any better? No. Uh, was there a volume button? Might want to do that. Sometimes we do this technical stuff in advance of the show, but uh, not today. Why would we want to do that? Uh, there's no reason. No, there's not no at reason. all. All right. Can you hear now? And if not, you just take them off. Can you hear now? Yeah. Okay, awesome. <laughs> we are all wired and ready to go. Tom and Marsha Berkowitz are in my studio. Tom has been teaching uh, community Bible study in Edina for 18 years, and we're always happy to have them in studio. I know you've got kind of a nice big fan base here on the show, and they love hearing from you, the listeners. So greet the listeners, and let's get started. Well, greetings. Love to be here. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Marsha? Yes, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Thank you so much. There we go. All right, Tom, you sent me a video, which was uh, very troubling. It was some anti-Semitic um, activity going on in New York. And some of the, uh, the the video had people getting attacked, just pummeled, just savage beating. It was so disturbing. Yes, and it was just one month out of the year, yeah. 2019. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It, it was so bizarre, it's hard to believe that that could happen in Brooklyn, New York, in 2019. But what we're talking about today is spiritual warfare and the spirit of anti-Semitism. And this is a very, very strong spirit. And this spirit, uh, war, spiritual warfare, dates back uh, 6,000 years by the biblical calendar. And it's looks if you look in Genesis three fifteen, after uh, Satan, the adversary, tempts Adam and Eve, and they eat from the forbidden fruit. In verse fifteen, God declares war on Satan, and here's what He said: "I will put hostility between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, she's talking about the serpent, Mm -hmm. he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That was a declaration of war because the serpent came in 
and defiled God's word and tempted someone, uh, well, his creation, mm-hmm. to rebel against what he said. So that was a war that's going on. And from the adversary's point of view, if he can destroy God's chosen people, then he makes God out to be a liar. So 2,000 years later, God created a people when he called uh, Abram and Sarah out of Mesopotamia and he brought them into the promised land. He let them... uh, Basically, be or Sarah was childish, for, childless for 25 years there, and it created uh, you know a lot of angst. And then he gave her the the ability to birth a son, and that son was Isaac. And all his promises that he gave to Abraham was to go through that son Isaac, not the son that uh, Sarah tried to manipulate the promise with uh, Hagar, mm-hmm. her Ishmael. servant, but with the promised son that God gave uh, Abraham and, and um, Sarah, Isaac. And if you look at it in Romans 4, somewhere in the middle of that chapter, God talks about, I mean, they talk about that Abraham was as good as dead, and the womb of Sarah was so far beyond childbirth, it couldn't even enter into her her mind. So God not only called and chose the Jewish people, he created them. And when he took them out of Mesopotamia back in Genesis uh, 11, Israel was not even in the list of nations that were around at the time. So that's why I say that. So Satan is Declaring war on the Jewish people. Well, then, uh, 500 years after Moses, or after uh, Abraham, Moses came along and he led the people into uh, the wilderness. And the first war that they really fought was against the Amalekites. And this is where the spirit of anti-Semitism is birthed. This is where the Amalekites came against the Jewish people against Israel and just tried to kill them. And you can read the story in Exodus 17, 8 through uh, uh, 16, or yeah, 8 through 16. But it says in verse 14, the Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. So he put the Amalekites under a band. And yes, that's a physical uh, proclamation. But more than that, it's a spiritual proclamation. Now, who's Amalek? Why him? Back in, um, well, actually, let me go to Deuteronomy 25 to restate this a little bit more. And Because this is very important to God. Remember the Amalekite, what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were tired and weary. They did not fear God. 
That's their offense. Yes, they killed some Israelites, but they did not fear God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land, the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. Do not forget. So this is really big. And I don't think it's the people group. I think it's the spirit Mm. behind that people group. And Amalek really is the grandson of Esau. If you take a look at uh, Genesis 36, uh, it starts in verse 10. These are the names of Esau's son, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adah, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife, uh, Bathmat. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zephel, Gadam, Kanaz. Tema, the concubine of Esau's son, Eliphaz, bore Amalek to Eliphaz. What I think happened is not only wasn't he one of the main family, he was a son of a concubine, so he had a less of a, a status. I think he took on the offense of, of his grandfather Esau when Jacob took the blessing from Isaac. He uh, schmagooed or conned uh, Isaac into blessing him rather than who Isaac was intending to Esau. I think he took that offense on, and it just brewed in him as a hate, and it was passed down throughout his descendants. And I'm going to tie this a little bit together, but if you look at 1 Samuel 15, um, Samuel was uh, told King Saul to go out and fight the Amalekites and destroy everything, every man, woman, infant, baby, child, and all their animals, keep nothing, because they were under a ban. And under the ban in the Hebrew means they were under a curse from God to be utterly destroyed for their actions. And he didn't do it. Again, the physical part, and there's a spiritual part. So that's the spirit I'm talking about. If you take a look a little bit further along in the book of uh, Esther, if you look at Esther uh, 3.8, and let me get there, it kind of sums up this spirit, and this spirit has been alive and well for all these years. You want me to wait before I... Okay. Haman. Now, Haman was an Amalekite. He was an Agah. And that goes back to First uh, Samuel. He was an Agite, which is of First Samuel 15. Then Haman informed Kim, uh, King uh, Ahasuerus, there is one ethnic group scattered throughout the peoples in every province of your kingdom, keeping themselves separate. Their laws are different from everyone else's, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So he paid the king a fee that he could destroy every living Jewish person in the world at that time. Whoa. That's <laughs> unbelievable. All right, Tom, let me take a little break. Tom and Marsha Berkowitz are my guests in the studio. Uh, we're going to be back in 90 seconds.
defense I shall not be moved He is my defense I shall not be moved He is my defense I shall not be moved Should we just listen to the music for the rest of the hour? Yeah, I, I like Works that. for me, doesn't it? That's Marty Getz, our friend. Tom and Marsha Berkowitz are in studio. Tom, maybe just because after, right before the break, you said something profound. Can you re-say that, and we can uh, we can start over again? Yes, I mean I read from uh, Esther, mm-hmm. and I read what Haman wanted to do to the Jewish people, all because Mordecai would not give him honor, would not bow down to him. The hatred came up so much that he went to the king to destroy. Not just Haman, but every Jewish person alive at that time. That overreaction is the spirit of anti-Semitism. And he was a descendant of the Amalekite king Mm -hmm. that we talked about back in 1 Samuel 15. But this spirit keeps going through and it's weaved its way through history because Israel was never obedient to God's command to utterly destroy the Amalekites because they were under a ban. And we can see it even in modern history. The Hamas charter, here's a preamble. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as has obliterated others before it. The day of judgment will not come until the Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. Now, I'm not get, trying to get into the politics of the Palestinians and uh, the Israelis, but in the year 2006, Ariel Sharon gave that the Gaza Strip back to the Palestinians and forcibly removed every Jewish person there. And they had growing businesses. They had great uh, factories and stuff. He left those intact, and he made the Jews leave, assuming that the Palestinians would come in and take them over. And all that money that Israel was getting, they would now get and would help their society, give them jobs. They destroyed them. That's hate. Wow. Why would they do it? And, you know, in that conflict— both the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, they want their areas to be Jew-free. To me, that says there's something spiritual behind it. So that spirit goes. And this is a powerful spirit. And throughout the Christian uh, church history, it started, and I'm going to ask Marsha to look at a couple of these, but here's a, this spirit can engulf Great Christian theologians, great Christians who let their guard down, this spirit can come in and make him do heinous things. Why don't you read one of the quotes, Marsh? Okay. What shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Since they live among us, we dare not tolerate their conduct. Now that we are aware of their lying and reviling and blaspheming, I shall give you my sincere advice. First, 
set fire to their synagogues or schools, and to bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn, so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom, so that God might see that we are Christians. Second, I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed. Third, I advise that all their prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. And fourth, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. I mean, that's a stark statement. Does it ever? And this was a a well-renowned... This person changed the course of Christian history. Why don't you tell them who this person was, Marcia? This was Martin Luther, A.D. 1543. So okay, we've we got to pause and let people get their jaws off the floor right now. Right. All right, now. <laughs> this is how powerful this spirit is. Mm. This is something that... All Christians have to uh, guard against. Now, this wasn't the first time the church did this. Uh, back in the First Crusade, uh, Geoffrey of Bullion said this, I swear to go on this journey only after avenging the blood of the crucified one, Jesus, by shedding Jewish blood and completely eradicating any trace of those bearing the name Jew. Thus, as who uh, um, avenging his own burning wrath, so that was done in ten ninety nine. What he did is he in Jerusalem when he was there, he ushered in every Jew he could find and put him in the great synagogue in Jerusalem, set it on fire as his troops circled around it, singing "Christ, we adore Thee." Wow! <laughs> Again. This is beyond reason and, and rational thinking. This is a spiritual thinking. And, Marsha, there's one more. Uh, as early, I think it was on the first page of your notes, uh, of one of the, Christ, the early Christian founders. Which one? That's the first one. I'm sorry. Okay. Um uh, I swear to go on this journey only after avenging the blood of the crucified one, Jesus, by shedding Jewish blood and completely eradicating any trace of those bearing the name Jew, thus souging his own burning wrath. Yeah. He was a knight of the first crusade. Yeah. And then this is... Uh, another one that I wanted to be read. I'm, what I'm trying to do is just saying the church has a history of doing this. The church has, and they're the ones that need to combat it, need to stop it. Otherwise, what is happening in Brooklyn will continue to happen. In fact, it's happening in in Minnesota. The incidences of anti-Semitism where there's been violence in uh uh, Minnesota is up almost 25% mm. year over year. Go ahead. Okay, this is talking about circumcision. 
the custom of circumcising the flesh was given to you, the Jews, as a distinguishing mark. The purpose of this was that you and only you might suffer the afflictions that are now justly yours, that only your land be desolated, your cities ruined by fire, that the fruits of your land be eaten by strangers before your very eyes. And that was written by Justin Martyr back in uh, 138 to 168 is when he, uh, when he was teaching. And he's one of the great church fathers. So that's when the whole spirit started coming in and taking over the church. The only reason why we had the pogroms, the only reason why we had the Spanish Inquisition, and the only reason why the Holocaust could happen is because the church let down their spiritual guard and what their calling was from the Lord. Because who crucified Jesus? It was devout Jews. It was the Romans. And it's all of our sins. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame it on just one group. All right. We'll take a little break. When we come back, more with Tom and Marsha Berkowitz. Fascinating topic today. You guys are handling this well. It's uh, quite eye-opening. Those quotes by Martin Luther. Amazing. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Enhance your prayer life and be encouraged at the start of each week through Faith Radio's prayer devotional email. This devotional resource helps you start your work week grounded in prayer and encourages you with Scripture. It's also easy to share with friends. Sign up to receive the prayer devotional email at MyFaithRadio.com under the subscriptions tab. We pray you'll be blessed and equipped through the prayer devotional email every week. Faith sees the impossible and lets go of control. It hears the distractions and refocuses. It absorbs the heartache and praises anyway. During this Black History Month, we hope you can honor more than someone's achievements. We hope you can embrace the strength of their character, the unmoving, sustaining nature of faith. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Here's one thing to spice up your Valentine's Day. Hi, I'm Dr. Randy Carlson with an Intentional Living Minute. Now, cards and candy and nice words are important, but can I encourage you to connect with your spouse at a heart level? It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, to the men that we are to live with our wives according to knowledge. In other words, to know our wife well enough that we can get behind her eyes and at least try to see life a little bit like she sees life. So can I encourage you on this Valentine's Day and maybe every day during the rest of this next year to learn something new about your spouse's desires, about their hopes and dreams and expectations, not only for today, but for the future. Ask and then listen with your own heart until you fully understand. When you do these things and you do them on an ongoing basis, 
That's intentional living in your marriage. To get our daily video, sign up at theintentionallife.com slash minute. Hey there, this is J.D. Greer of Summit Life, and I'm really excited to be partnering with this radio station to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. I believe that the life of faith is not a passive pastime. I think it's something that you can't just pursue as a hobby. Every weekday on Summit Life, we try to open the scriptures as your guide to a joyous and boldly audacious life of faith. Listen for Summit Life weekday mornings at 1130 here on Faith Radio. Marsha Berkowitz, and I appreciate this subject and how you're dealing with it. It certainly is um, way deeper than I ever thought. Yeah, it's a, again, it's a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual battle. When um, earlier in our marriage, um, Marsha's parents uh, had some friends and we, uh, real close friends, and we were having dinner at our house and these friends kept saying anti-Semitic tropes constantly during the course of dinner. And finally, I, I just couldn't take anymore. Uh, I finally, I got up and I looked at them. I said, you're Christians. What are you going to do on the day of judgment when you stand before Jesus, a Jew, and behind him, his 12 disciples, all Jews, and behind them, the 12 patriarchs? Again, all Jews. How are you going to tell them you didn't like Jews? I wonder how that goes on Judgment Day. Mm. And I walked out. Now, of course, I was younger and I was immature. I could have sat and talked with them because I don't even think they realize exactly what they were saying. But that's... They they believe the lie that a lot of people say that the Jews control the banks. And that's where... A lot of the anti-Semitism, like they control so much of this political stuff. A lot of people are saying today, many of it lies. So that's where it's coming from. But if you look at it in from the scriptures, Paul, such a brilliant prophetic mind, saw this happening uh, when he wrote in Romans, when he's addressing the Roman church. And the context of this, of his writing is, in the year 50, 55, the emperor at that time drove every Jew out of the city of Rome. Well, the church was already up and running, and the Jews were the head of the church, and they were witnessing and bringing in everybody who would believe in the name of Jesus. So there was a big Gentile crowd. So... Priscilla and Aquila, uh, Paul's friends, were part of that church. So they had to leave Rome. That's how Paul met them in Corinth. Well, after 55 AD, the emperor revoked that law and allowed them to come back in. So, of course, they went back home and they went into the church. And now the schism 
between the Gentile and the Jew started and leadership. And I think that's part of why Paul wrote in Romans 11, uh, starting at 17. Now, if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root. The root sustains you. Then you will say the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. And then, uh, because he says, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And then he goes on and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you are not, will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So all Israel will be saved. So how are they going to be saved? I believe they're going to be saved when the Gentiles reach out to them with the same type of sacrifice that the Jews first reached out to the Gentiles at threat of their own life, at the threat of losing their position in society, losing their their net worth. They reached out in love that the Gentiles could come in. And as anti-Semitism picks up and the spirit of anti-Semitism picks up, I believe it's the church, the believers who take the word of God seriously that will reach out to the Jews and give them the same type of sacrificial light, love that the Jews gave them in the beginning. And the Jews will see this love, how genuine it is, and the cost of this love for these Gentiles. And I think their hearts will be smitten. They'll look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns a newborn son or their only son. And that's from... Uh, Zechariah 12.10. And I think that's what's going to happen. And it goes on and says, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable, as you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too now have disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you so that they may also receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that they may, so that he may have mercy on all. So that's what he's doing. And then he ends with this, and this is coming one of my favorite uh, uh, hymn of praises uh, to God, all the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment, 
and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For through him, or from, or for from him and through him, to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. This is God's plan. But the church is going to be his, his instrument to bring his chosen people back in so that his name, God's name, will be righteous because he's a promise-keeping God that he made 4,000 years ago to Abram, who later became Abraham, mm-hmm. that he would always have a people. I mean, that's a, a mouthful what I just said there. Yeah, it is. So how much of this is on the radar of churches today? I think very little. I, I, would, I would agree. I think it's starting to come back. I think since uh, Israel became a nation and Jerusalem became its capital again, so the nation in 1948 and the capital in 1967, I think a switch has happened. And I think more and more people are looking back at their Hebraic roots mm-hmm. and understanding what their call is. And we're seeing it happen. And the enemy never gives up easily. And he's fighting harder and harder. And that's why we're seeing the return of anti-Semitism again. Tom, would you uh, explain or uh, talk about the significance of the capital being moved back to Jerusalem? Well, I think what you're asking, the embassy back? The embassy, that's what I meant. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. I mean, that's very, very significant. What that is saying now, what the world rejected Mm -hmm. and has never... Um, has never recognized is now being recognized and more and more nations are moving their embassies from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the capital of, of Israel. And when, and when Jesus comes back, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, which is overlooks Jerusalem. He's going to come back to a Jewish capital in Israel, and that's Jerusalem. That's what he said. So I think prophetically, it means a lot. Now, people will just say that's not true. They'll come up with all different kinds of things. But I think we all know this is a spiritual battle. And our enemy, Hasatan in Hebrew, the adversary, Satan, is going to try to cause confusion and disunity amongst the people. So I think that's why it's really uh, it's really important. If you look, you, you know where the new covenant is found in the Bible. Um, the new covenant, no. Where it's laid out, no. It's it's found in both covenants, both the the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, and the New Testament. But it's found in Jeremiah thirty one, thirty one to thirty four. Said, "Behold, the days are coming." This is the Lord's declaration when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Ah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I was their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days 
the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That's a new covenant. And it hung there from the lips of Jeremiah for about 500 years until Jesus ratified this covenant on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. And the beauty of the new covenant is it's you get it by faith. It was made with uh, the Jewish people, but all Gentiles who believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and that he died for their sins are grafted in. That's what Paul was talking about back in Romans 11. But what people forget to read is what comes after that. And if that, if this part is true, and we all hold it as true because it is, the next part, 35 through 37, has got to be true. And he says, if this fixed order... He's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the waters roar. Uh, If this fixed order departs before me, this is the Lord's declaration. Only then will Israel's descendants cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below explored will I reject all of Israel's descendants because of all they have done. This is the Lord's declaration declaration. Mm -hmm. It is a very, very dangerous proposition for anybody, but especially the church, to persecute his people because God hasn't. Mm. He said they're always going to be here. Mm -hmm. As we continue playing Stump the Host, where is it in the New Testament? In Hebrews. In Hebrews, of course. Seven. Hebrews seven. (laughs) Of course. Of course it is. Yeah. I probably, had I had more time to think in Google, I could have come up with Jeremiah 31. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. This is a real war that we're in. This is not for, it's not for the faint of heart. But this not only encompasses anti-Semitism, but all spiritual warfare. And Bill, last week, uh, we were blessed, our CBS leaders, to have you come in and talk to us. And you shared a story in your own life, and I believe it was on spiritual warfare, that has caused me and Marsha to think about this topic, and that's why we came up with it. Wow. And I think you have the uh, some practical things we can do in this spiritual warfare. Uh, maybe we do. Let's take a little break. We'll come back more with Tom and Marsha Berkowitz. Thanks for listening today. Be right back. Back to the show, Tom and Marsha Berkowitz are here with me as we chat about uh, spiritual warfare. And Tom was remembering uh, a story I told that happened in my performing life with my two uh, partners in theater, Bob and Mike. And we had a really uh, outstanding run in San Diego, setting all kinds of records. And then we had an opportunity to go to Chicago to this theater just a couple blocks from Wrigley Field. Beautiful space. 
and we went in there, and we came from such big success to really quiet audiences that were almost like they were being tampered down. It was like, why is there this feeling of oppression in the theater? Why are they not responding? Because we had a pretty reliable show that would hit on most cylinders all the time. And when that doesn't happen, you start to go, why not? And one show can be, uh, you know, okay, but you stack up seven, eight, nine shows in a row and you start to think there's something seriously going on in this theater. So we contacted a friend, Bob did, contacted a friend of his who was involved in spiritual warfare. And he said, you might want to find out what's gone on in the theater recently. If there's anything of particular uh, spiritual or um, demonic activity. And we thought that was something odd question to ask, but we went ahead and talked to the stage manager. And the show that was there previous to us was The Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And I think as a publicity stunt, the last couple of weeks, they brought in mediums and psychics into the theater during the performance, brought them up on stage to try to bring Edgar Allan Poe back from the dead to communicate with him. So when we found out that was what was going on in the theater prior to us, he said, it is very likely that whatever got invited in is still hanging out. And now you guys, you three guys, are born-again Christians that don't have a Christian show, but you are trying to bring light in an otherwise dark place, which is American theater, and you're bringing this show of joy and happiness and trying to delight audiences, and possibly those spirits that are still in that space don't like that. They don't want the joy of the Lord to happen to this audience. So he said, here's what I suggest. Uh, have a communion service backstage, get some, some bread and some grape juice, and just have a communion service, and then anoint the doors in, with oil in the name of the Lord, and then just go about and do your show. And we did that. And that night, all the laughter returned and never stopped. Wow. That's an amazing be... story. So then we did that going forward in every other theater we went into. Before we even did show one, we would have a communion service backstage. And then we would anoint the uh, the theater with oil in the name of the Lord, just as a safety precaution. Yeah, Marsha's much more spiritually sensitive than I am. And she would do proactive things like that. And I think it's really protected our family because there's God... I mean, the enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our Christian walk. I just read something from Christianity Today that 260 million Christians live under persecution every single day. I mean, it's amazing. But if there's that much um, spiritual warfare and opposition, uh, if you were to, say, buy a new house or even check into a hotel room, um, not that you want to over-spiritualize everything, but wouldn't you want to pray a blessing on your home as you go into a home? Who knows what activities have gone on in that home? I, and- I absolutely think so. And I know when we uh, built our house, we had our kids come, and they all rode on the studs, which a lot of people have done that. Mm-hmm. We're not the only ones, but they put Bible verses and and different things on the studs, so it's built around that. But You know, one of the things I think we have to remember is that the enemy comes so subtly 
that we it's not always blatant or we would recognize it right away. Mm-hmm. It's the subtleness that catches us and we be, and we become kind of lulled into it. And we just have to keep those spiritual eyes open all the time and, and remembering that he's just out to get us wherever we, especially when we're working for the Lord, he is out to get us mm-hmm. and he wants to stop it. And especially for, you know, one, one of the many ways, but especially with the Jewish people, because they were his chosen people. Mm-hmm. And they are his chosen people. I mean, this whole thing makes a lot of sense when you think about how do we practically walk through this war that we're in. I mean, we don't get a choice of being neutral. You either fight on the side of the Lord or you're going to be overpowered by this spirit. Back when I was in my early 40s, we were doing a major uh, business deal. And it was going to make us all multi, multi millionaires. It was a great project, great uh, planning. Everything was good. And while we were having a social before we launched the company, uh, Marsha came and I introduced her to this partner who was going to be running a lot of it. And she was really kind and, and nice to him. But on the way home, she said, Tom, I don't think we should do this deal. And I said, well, tell me why. I mean, we have put a lot of money in our own money, and we have done a lot of work, and now she brings this up. I said, give me some concrete reasons. And she looked at me, and she said, I can't. It just makes me feel icky, and I have no idea. <laughs> what is icky? How do you define that? Mm-hmm. Well, I found it, how, how you defined it. Not listening to somebody who has spiritual discernment that the Lord put it on her heart to warn us. I ignored it, and it cost us our entire net worth. Mm. And so I learned not to do that. And about 10 years later, we were uh, at a, a function and we were talking with this man and a former colleague of mine. And I was very impressed with the guy because he was a billionaire and he had done a lot of things. And Marcia came over and we talked, we introduced on the way home. Uh, she says, I hope you're not going to plan on doing anything with him. It was really Gave me, he gave me an icky feeling. I said, well, you know who he is? He's a multi-billionaire. He said, I don't care. She said it gave me an icky, icky feeling. Brought back memories. I said, God, forgive me. And there is nothing I did to touch him. Well, mm-hmm. this guy's in prison today. Wow. You know. And Marcia, you should write a book, The Icky Factor. Oh, that's a great title. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah I get 10%. But, Bill, <laughs> you, you can do- write the book and I'll take credit for the title. <laughs> You must do that in your show and stuff and pray over it because the enemy would love oh, to destroy this show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's uh, two hours of, of live time on the air and the enemy would love to destroy it, twist words. Absolutely. So to our and audience. It's scary being live. Yeah. Well, to- we're not live. We're taped right now. <laughs> Don't worry. To our audience. <laughs> <laughs> to our audience. I just encourage them not to be afraid, but to stand bold and use the weapons of our war, warfare. That's in Ephesians uh, 6, starting at verse 10, because we are on the side of victory. Mm-hmm. We have, God is not going to lose this battle. We have to remember that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we have to keep 
telling ourselves that. And I love the song that you had, Marty's song that was on earlier, He Is My Defense. And oftentimes when I'm going through a battle, I will put that on, or I've told my girls that. Just put that song on and remember, He Is My Defense. You know, I'll tell you a quick story on that song. Marty was on his way over to uh, Russia to do an outreach to the Russian Jews about Jesus. And he was praying about what he should do. He learned Russian for that song, and he's turned that song into a Russian song. And they hit a, a roadblock when they got there as far as a spiritual road roadblock. He sang that song. The walls came crumbling down, and Jews, Russian Jews, started receiving Jesus as their Messiah. It totally transformed and changed their lives. So it is a spiritual battle. Oh, and sure he's is. an anointed man to be able to do that. I can't even speak English. <laughs> well, barely, but you, you know. <laughs> this is so interesting. So that was what uh, God put on our heart, and you were the catalyst of it nice. with your story nice. of the theater. Well, just you're, you're, it's helpful to remind people that we need to be aware and take action and to always be in prayer, right? Yes, always being in prayer. Yeah. Huh. All right. This has been a great hour. Tom and Marsha Berkowitz have been my guests. And if you've missed any of this, uh, you probably are going to want to go and hear it from the start with your Bible and open in your notebook because there's a lot of great scripture references and things that you're going to probably want to have to think through a little bit more carefully, including me. I'm going to listen to it tonight. So thank you for listening. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with hour two in just a minute.